Thank you for joining us for the Tucson Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Brent Armstrong. This podcast features the messages from the teaching and preaching ministry at our church. Tucson Baptist Church is located in Tucson, Arizona, and we are committed to loving God, growing together, and reaching our community. Bibles go to Revelation chapter number 19, Revelation 19. I've entitled this morning's message, I love this title, King Jesus is Coming. And if you're discouraged today, you're wondering what's going to happen, and uh, you're concerned about your bank account, you're concerned about uh, uh, the politics in our nation, you're concerned about a health issue, you just come today with a set of burdens. Let me encourage you, King Jesus is coming. And uh, that's an absolute certainty, and it's something that you can take to the bank. You can be assured of, and you can be encouraged today. And so we're going to pick up where we left off last Sunday in verse number 11 in just a moment, Revelation chapter 19. But first, let me begin with an old, old story that illustrates um, my desire and the subject matter of which I wish, wish to preach this morning. There was a salesman, oh, he had been working very hard in a particular city. He finally gets to his motel room and uh, hotel room and uh, he he came in late at night trying trying with his craft to sell as much as he can. And uh, he was tired. He sat down on the edge of his bed. You can see that. He takes off his great big old black shoes from all of his walking and everything and takes it off and drops it on the floor with a thud. And then he thinks to himself, that was so, so thoughtless of me. It's late at night. To drop my shoe like that on the floor, it's bound to have disturbed the person below me. And uh, with that, he took off the second shoe and he placed it down on the floor as to not make a noise. Oh, it was just a few moments later. There was a knock at his door. And there was an older gentleman His eyes had black circles under him, looked rough, and he said, Sir, would you please drop the other shoe? Uh, I think that's why we're living our lives oftentimes, is we're waiting for the world to drop the other shoe. If you're a believer, you know it's got to get worse before it's ever going to get better. And just when we think it can't get any worse, it does. Revelation chapter 19, follow along as I begin reading in verse number 11. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. I ask you, do you have any idea who that is in verse 14? You know what we should say? That's me. Verse 14, that's you. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, and we, clothed in fine linen, 
were white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, O King of kings and Lord of lords. Father, we can easily be distracted during preaching. For some, we're worried about lunch. Others, Father, may be worried about a to-do list this afternoon. But Father, would your Holy Spirit come, calm hearts, calm minds, and allow us to be illuminated by the working of your Holy Spirit into your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. The Christ who was born at Bethlehem, the Christ who walked those uh, dusty shores of Galilee, the Christ who hung naked on a cross, was buried, rose again. He ascended to those high hills of glory into heaven. And my friend, I'm just so excited to tell you this morning, that same Jesus and the book of Acts that left is the same Jesus that's coming back once again. And the incarnation without the coronation would be like having east without west. It would be like an engagement without a wedding or a marriage. Friends, we are waiting on the Lord Jesus Christ to come. Are you waiting? Are you looking? Are you excited that Jesus Christ really is going to come back? We are living between what I call those two mountain peaks, if you will, his incarnation and his coming coronation. We're on a collision course. We have a destiny, and we know that very soon the King of Kings, King Jesus, is coming back. And friends, we cannot afford to be ignorant. You'll sit in an office tomorrow, and those around you are lost, and they're going to go to a place called hell. And you have the answer. And you sit here, and we can let our mind wander around aimlessly about all kinds of things. It would be amazing if we could peer into your mind and see what you're thinking about today. And all the while, the Word of God is being spoken, and we'll leave here ignorant about that which is spoken. Oh, don't let that happen this morning. We cannot afford to be ignorant that Jesus is coming back. We cannot afford to be indifferent as we await His return. And we know that there are many people today who have a heart that's perplexed and perplexed and confused. Someone has said this, and it should be your note, sorrow looks backward. Worry looks all around, but friend, faith looks upward. This morning, are you worrying or do you have faith? Are you sorrowful or do you have faith? So let's look at our scripture today and the portion of scripture that we read. And really, when I say King Jesus is coming back, we can say that with an exclamation point. In other words, it's declared that he's coming back. So let me give you three declarations about King Jesus. Here's declaration number one. King Jesus is coming visibly. King Jesus is coming visibly. How is he coming? Visibly. There are those who always try to spiritualize the second coming of Jesus Christ as some event in history or perhaps when a soul dies that Jesus comes and carries that soul back to heaven. And, and there are events that happen in history. And indeed, we go to meet the Lord Jesus when we die. But I want to remind you from Scripture, the apostle on the Mount of Transfiguration, he heard the angels of heaven say this, 
This same Jesus which is taken uh, from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. He's going to come and he's going to take the church and, and he's going to gather the church to him and we're going to be caught up, the Bible says, to meet him in the air. So Jesus is coming, first of all, in an event called the rapture. But then in this passage of Scripture, we find that Jesus is coming with his church. And, and I, I want you to know that, that there was a time that Jesus, he went away literally and actually and bodily and visibly. And friend, the Bible says that he's going to come back the same way, literally and actually and visibly and bodily. In our own passage of Scripture, would you focus your attention on verse number 11? The Bible says, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and true. Jesus Christ is coming back visibly in power and great glory and majesty. Now that raises a potential question. Pastor, I am a little confused. What about the rapture. Doesn't the Bible teach that maybe Jesus is coming back something called like a thief in the night? Doesn't the Bible teach that that his coming back is going to be mysterious? And now we see in this passage of scripture that you, we just read that he's coming back in great pomps and circumstance and great glory and great power. Now which is true? Is he coming in mystery or is he coming in majesty? Is he coming as a thief in the night? Or is he coming in power and great glory? I think we must understand this or you're going to get hopelessly confused. There are two aspects where Jesus is going to come back. First of all, there is the rapture. We have preached about that earlier in our uh, study in the book of Revelation. Uh, the rapture is when Jesus Christ comes for his bride. The rapture is when Jesus comes for us, his bride, the church, the revelation, the second coming when Jesus physically comes to this earth is when Jesus Christ comes with his bride. Those two words make a significant difference. Those two words help us to clearly understand what will take place. Allow me to share with you some ancillary scriptures to prove this. Paul wrote in the book of 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2 and verse number 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. He's going to come. He's going to take the church. He's going to gather us together. The Bible clearly says that we are going up. We're going to meet him somewhere in the sky. And so Jesus is going to come for his church. But then in this passage of Scripture, we find that Jesus is coming back with his church. May I ask you, are you coming back with Jesus? I hope that is a yes. I know with absolute certainty that I am. There in Revelation chapter 19, notice verse 14. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon a white horse. Who were those armies? Who are these armies? May I just tell you that is us. That's the bride. Uh, that's the saints. Uh, we, we just read about the bride dressed in her wedding dress, which was white linen, and that represents the righteousness of the saints. And by the way, the only way we have the righteousness of the the only way we can be presented as righteous as a saint is because of what Jesus Christ has done. And so his coming is a mystery and a majesty. He is coming uh, uh, to rapture his bride, to remove his bride. 
Um, but he's also coming as a revelation with his bride. Now let me help you just understand a little bit of uh, a little Bible lesson here. Sometimes we get confused uh, when we talk about the second coming of Christ. I do find in my study of the Old Testament, the Old Testament books, the Old Testament prophets, they didn't know anything about the rapture. So let that sink in for just a moment. It's very important that we understand the Old Testament prophets didn't know anything about the rapture. So so guess what? We don't find any mention or reference to the rapture in the Old Testament. It was a mystery that was revealed in the New Testament. Remember, the Old Testament saints or the Old Testament people were to be looking for the coming of Jesus physically to the earth. And so they rejected him. And therefore, the mystery of the rapture is revealed after the Jewish people rejected their their king. Maybe, Maybe you could take note of a couple other verses. Paul wrote to the church of Corinth, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Now, I understand the twinkling of an eye is is the fastest movement of the human body. And in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall all be changed. This would have been a mystery to the Old Testament prophets. They would not have understood this because they were looking for the coming Messiah. The Messiah came. They rejected him. And then we see the revelation here, uh, the explanation of the rapture, the second coming of Jesus. For example, in the Bible, Jesus' uh, coming is described cataclysmically like a bolt out of the blue. Did you, did you hear the choir? Did you sing songs today about this, that Jesus is coming back? It's like a flash of lightning. In fact, in Matthew chapter 24, it says, For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even into the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. So Jesus is going to come like a bolt out of the blue, coming suddenly like lightning, but he's also coming secretly as a thief. How can that be? Well, to understand, we're talking about two different events. I have to take you to First uh, Thessalonians chapter number 5. In First Thessalonians chapter 5, it says, For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Well, pastor, I am co- hopelessly confused. Is it lightning that everybody's going to see? Or is it a thief who comes at, at, during the nighttime? May I just say, Jesus is sweetly coming as a bridegroom, church. First and foremost, he's coming as a bridegroom. The Bible says, And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, and go ye out to meet him. Not only will he come sweetly as a bridegroom, that he's going to come sovereignly as a king. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, And to you who are troubled, rest with us, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These would be antithetical. These appear to be contradictory. If we do not understand, that there are two phases, two events of the coming of Jesus Christ. So first, he does come for his church. By the way, that's the next thing on the prophetic calendar. The next thing. He could come today. 
He could come tomorrow. Are you ready for him to come back? It'll, be, it'll usher in the end of the church age. The church will be raptured out. We who are saved and those who preceded us who were uh, members in the body of Christ will be taken from the grave and will meet Jesus in the air. Uh, after the rapture, there's going to be a couple things that we've already studied. There's going to be something called the judgment seat of Christ. Last week, last week we looked at the marriage of the Lamb that, uh, that we will all participate in. And while we, the church, are in heaven, there's going to be a terrible seven-year period of time called the tribulation and the great tribulation that's going to take place on planet Earth. But after, after that, after we've been to the judgment seat of Christ, after we've participated in the supper of the Lamb, simultaneously there's this great tribulation going on in earth. And after that great tribulation is over, guess what? Jesus is going to say, hey, everybody, wipe off your faces. The, the supper is over. Get ready. Go find your horse. He said, I don't like riding horses. Well, you better get over that real quick. And Jesus is going to have the most majestic horse of all of them, a white horse. And the Bible says that we, the church, we're going to come back with him. And Jesus is going to come back in great glory and majesty and power. And we get to follow him as we come back to this earth. Now, that's the reason, folks. Uh, we're not waiting for any signs to be fulfilled. Jesus is literally ready to come back. All he's waiting is for the God of heaven to say, Jesus, go get him. Go get your bride. That's all that Jesus is waiting for. And then we'll be ushered in the great tribulation. And we actually spent a couple months talking about the horrors of the great tribulation. So please listen to me. If you don't learn anything else today or from past messages, please nail it down. Learn this. Get it. Grab hold of it. To deny that Jesus is coming back is complete heresy. I want you to hear from the greatest prophetic preacher that's ever walked this earth. Would you have any idea what his name is? His name is Jesus. Uh, I want you to listen what Jesus had to say. He said this in Matthew chapter 24, But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Don't let anybody set a date for you. If he does, he's acting smarter than an angel. And by the way, the angels minister unto God 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They're never off duty. And even the angels of heaven do not know when the next prophetic event is going to take place. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus says, For as in the days that they were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Now it was not the great tribulation that Jesus says that we're to look for. In fact, the Bible uh, states that there's going to be eating and drinking and marrying and, 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 and childbirth and all of these are going to happen. It's an ordinary course of life. But then he says this, Watch therefore, for ye know not the hour when your Lord will come. And in verse 44, he says, Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. In Mark chapter 13, the Bible says, But of that day and that hour knoweth no man, know not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, Jesus Christ, neither the Son, only the Father. Take heed, watch, and pray, for ye know not when the time is come. I'm incredibly happy to share with you this morning 
that the church is not going to go through the great tribulation. And we should all say hallelujah. But may I ask you the question, if we know that we are not going to go through the tribulation, shouldn't we live our lives a little different? We're going to be spared the very wrath of God on this earth. And yet oftentimes we live cavalier, arrogant. and We live with our lips sealed and we fail to tell other people about Jesus Christ. My friend, the Bible teaches that we're not going to go through the tribulation. We, the bride of Christ, are going to be caught out. The great tribulation is poured out on this world after, after the bride is taken out, after the rapture of the church. And so what we learned this morning, the first declaration is this, Jesus is coming visibly. And that is the second coming where he physically comes to this earth. Now I want you to notice the second declaration this morning, King Jesus, and I'm so, this just thrills me. You cannot help but have a smile on your face. King Jesus is coming back victoriously. There's not going to be shame. There's not going to be regret. King Jesus is coming back victoriously. And we read about that in verses 11 through 13. John beholds the white horse coming, not only visibly, but also coming victoriously. All of this is a picture of victory. Let me share some things that I think that we could see here in this portion of Scripture. We read of the mastery of his conquest. Uh, he's riding upon a white horse. And when he entered into Jerusalem 2,000, years ago. Do you remember that day? We've preached about it around Easter time. It's called Palm uh, Sunday and the people they throw branches down in front of him and listen to this. They would say hail him, hail him king of the Jews and only just a few short hours later uh, they would say nail him nail him to the cross and those same people that threw the palm branches down uh, that were saying hail him eventually said nail him to the cross What was he riding then? Does anyone remember what he was riding? He was riding a donkey, the lowest of animals. But my friend, when Jesus Christ comes back again, when he physically comes back to this earth, he won't be on a lowly donkey. King Jesus is riding a white charger. The white horse in that day was a symbol of victory and honor and conquest. And so we can see the mastery of his conquest. In our passage of Scripture, I also see the mystery of his character. Listen to what John wrote. In verse number 12, the Bible says, His eyes were a flame of fire. On his head were many crowns. He had a name that no one knew about. This is the mystery of his character. He's righteous and true. And yes, he is faithful. He makes war. He makes a righteous war. But the import of all of this is that he has a name that no one knows. It is mysterious. Do you know that? passage of scripture over in Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 9 Paul said this wherefore God hath also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name what is that name well we know him as Jesus but friend there's a mystery about him that we will never ever be able to fathom and I don't even believe we'll be able to fathom it once we get to heaven he's the highest of the high he's far above us and one of these days uh, we will be like him but we'll never be him isn't that the mistake of Lucifer he said I'm going to be God and he said, I, I, I believe that I could be a God. I believe I could do a better job than God is doing. 
And because of his wickedness and rebellion, God threw him and a third of the host out of heaven. And then, and then uh, Lucifer was introduced to a lady named Eve. And he says, listen, you, if you'll eat of that fruit, you'll be God. And friend, I'm just telling you today that Jesus is higher than us. Jesus is better than us. Jesus gave his life for us. And there's a mystery about him. Uh, there's mastery in his conquest. There's the mystery of his character. But thirdly, I see the majesty of his coronation. The majesty of his coronation. We, we read there, the Bible says he has a crown. Oh no, he doesn't have a crown. He has many crowns. The word here is diadem. It's not Stephanus, a victor's crown, but it's the regal crown that a king would wear. But he does not have just one. He has many, for he's the king of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. And no longer does he wear a crown made by the briars of this world, but by the jewels of heaven. Oh, my friend, it's going to be the most amazing crown we've ever seen. We will, we will look at it and maybe even not be able to carry it. It's going to be so amazing. I cannot wait to see my Savior wear that crown. And then we'll all break out in spontaneous song. Crown him with many crowns. Fourthly, I see the victorious King Jesus in the ministry of his crucifixion. The ministry of his crucifixion. Verse 13 says that he has a vesture dipped in blood. Some people think that's the blood of his enemies, and I do not believe so. I think it's a reminder of Calvary, of his precious blood that was shed for both you and me. I think the Lord Jesus Christ will forever wear an emblem of that sacrifice of his time at Calvary. And thank God for the ministry of his crucifixion and the blood of Jesus Christ that gives us victory. And all of us today should say thank you, Jesus, for your ministry that took place at your crucifixion. We overcame our sinful self and wickedness of this world only by the blood of the Lamb. And the victory that he's about to win over the Antichrist is based on that blood. And what a day when Jesus comes not only visibly, but he comes victoriously. Friend, are you going to be with him? May I ask you, when he comes back, are you going to be with him? Do you have that absolute assurance that I will be with him? Is there hope? Yes! Yes, there's hope. But may I tell you, science is not the answer. Jesus is the answer. Science has made the world a, a, a neighborhood, but not a brotherhood. The late, great Dr. Vance Havner used to say this, civilization is like a chimpanzee with a blowtorch in a room full of dynamite. And that's the situation we're in right now. Science is not the answer. I want to say that politics is not the answer. There's no politician alive that's going to be able to deliver us. Social reforms is not the answer. Would you listen carefully? All that social reform does, if it prevails at all, is to make a world a better place to go to hell from. Social reform is not going to save this world. You know, sometimes people say, well, you preachers, you're pessimists. Because you don't believe that we can change the world. I do not believe I can change the world. And I do not believe you can change the world. I believe only Jesus can change the world. I'm not a pessimist. I'm a glowing optimist because I know the only one who can change this world. By the way, Jesus can use you at work. Jesus can use you on a city council. 
Jesus can use you in your home. Jesus can use you in this church. But who is it? It's Jesus that makes the difference. Are you allowing Jesus to make a difference in your life? I'm not a pessimist, but I do know because I've read the book that Jesus is the answer. The answers to this world's problems, the answers to the problems in Tucson, the answers to the problems in the United States, believe me, beyond any shout or peradventure, is the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back. That's the answer. Oh, my friend, King Jesus is coming visibly. King Jesus is coming victoriously. But I would be remiss if I didn't share with you in the passage of Scripture that we read that King Jesus is coming back vengefully. Vengefully. I need you to understand. And at the outside of my message, I said, please do not leave ignorantly. King Jesus is coming back vengefully. Generally generally speaking, when we hear that, and as you write that, as you hear my voice, and as you see it on the screen behind me, we don't like this. Because we don't like to think of Jesus as a vengeful person. They don't like the idea of judgment. People don't think, really, in our own finiteness, we think it's un-American that God would judge sin. There are people who say, well, you, you know God is too good to punish sin. That God is just a God of love, love, love. I ask you to look up here for just a moment. Don't ever say God is too good to punish sin. God is too good not to punish sin, for God is a holy God. And sometimes we've missed that because we think through the finiteness of our own brains and the finiteness of our own experiences, we serve a perfect, holy God. Let me share you from... Share with you from Scripture, Deuteronomy, the Bible says this. To me belongeth vengeance and recompense. Their foot shall slide in due time, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and the things that shall come upon them make haste. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 19, it states this, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. We previously read about the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God in verses 14 through 16. And you say, I read that right along with you, but Pastor Armstrong, I thought God was a God of love. May I just tell you, He is. He is infinite love, perfect love, but God is also a God of wrath. And if uh, I ask them to put this in your handout, uh, if you'll follow along, this will help you understand the balanced gospel that we are to teach and to share with others if we preach the love of God to the exclusion of the wrath of God we do not have the whole gospel if we preach the wrath of God to the exclusion of the love of God we do not have the whole gospel each half of that truth is true but when you take part of the truth and try to make part of the truth all of the truth that part of the truth becomes an untruth you must have both God's love and an understanding of God's wrath that he must adjudicate. He must, he must take care of sin. God is a God of love. Aren't you thankful for that? For God so loved the world. But if you want to have his mercy, you have to understand that God allowed there to be a price paid for our sin through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. 
But I'm telling you, friend, as surely as my name is Brent, as surely as I stand here, there is coming a time if you refuse the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, if you trample under your feet the precious blood of Jesus Christ, if you turn from his longing hand that reaches for you, and, you, and he's saying this, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. If you ignore that, if you spurn that, if you refuse that, if you deny that, listen to me. I don't say it with malice. I say it with a grieving heart. You will face the wrath of God. And yet today, the many hundreds and hundreds of people that are here, those who are watching by live stream, there will be those who say, okay, I, I, I was in church today. Now let's hurry up and go to the restaurant and you will give never another thought about where will I spend eternity if I die today. 2 Thessalonians 1 and verse 8 speaks of the coming of our Lord. I want you to listen to this verse. In flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Could we hold that verse there? I, I don't know. Maybe you could circle this in your notes there. In flaming fire, taking vengeance, King Jesus is coming back vengefully, on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. If I wasn't saved, I would run to the altar. If I wasn't saved, I would never leave this place until I made sure that verse does not apply to me. And yet... There are people that are trifling with their very own soul and say, nah, not today. I don't have to live for Jesus. Not for me. Taking vengeance, he is coming vengefully to make things right. And as we preached last Sunday, we're not made right in this world. Justice is not done. Wrong seems to prevail. Wrong is on the throne. And, 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 and I'm just, I'm sickened by the things that are happening in our very own country. Um... But it will not always be that way. He is the righteous judge. And maybe not in our lifetime. Maybe not. But I believe he is coming back in my lifetime. And I have to live that way. Here's what I say is that he is coming back. And he's going to make things right. He is going to defeat the devil. He is going to defeat the wickedness that is all around this world. The king is coming back visibly. The king is coming back victoriously. The king is coming back vengefully. And with that, I'd like to just share four truths that we could take as I conclude this message. Four truths that we could take away from this message and, and say, for me as a believer, what do I take from this message? Here's truth number one. We should learn of his coming. Truth number one is we should learn of his coming. That's why you're here. We learn of his coming. You cannot afford to be ignorant of these things. You need to teach others these things. The world needs to hear these things. Jesus said over and over, be ye ready, be ye ready, be ye ready, be ye ready. We need to learn. We don't need this to be a book like, it's too deep for me to understand. Let somebody else worry about it. No, Jesus, King Jesus, is coming back. Here's truth number two. We need to be looking for his coming. Look 
for his coming. We're not waiting on some prophecy to be fulfilled. We should live every day this afternoon as if Jesus were to come today. We're to learn of his coming. We're to be looking for his coming. We're to have our hearing aids turned up, listening for that trumpet to sound. Truth number three, and this is, we, we understand truth number one. Yes, I want to learn. That's why I'm in church. Yes, certainly, I'm uh, Pastor Armstrong. I understand that, that, that I need to look for his coming, that he could come back. But I wonder if truth number three applies to us. We should long for his coming. We should long for his coming. The last prayer of the Bible is simply this in Revelation 22. Even so, come Lord Jesus. And people have been praying that for some 2,000 years, and people will continue to pray that until Jesus comes back. Have you ever prayed that from the model prayer in Matthew chapter 6? Thy kingdom come, thy will uh, be done in earth as it is in heaven. Have you ever prayed that? Have you, did you even pray today? Have you talked to Jesus today? Do you long for the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ? May I just say, I can hardly wait to see Jesus. What a day that's going to be when I see Jesus. Now, let me say this before I move on. Maybe I can put it in very super practical terms. Here it is. The reason we don't long for Jesus is we are afraid that I'm going to miss out on something here on earth. Let me give an example. I'm afraid I'm going to miss out on getting married. I'm afraid I'm going to miss out on having my first child. I'm afraid I'm going to miss out on having grandchildren. I, I have a goal. I want to be a millionaire, and, and I'm afraid I'm going to miss out on, on being a millionaire. I rent my house right now. I rent my apartment. I really, really want to own a place before Jesus comes back. And we think in very earthly terms of why we don't want Jesus to come back, and therefore we don't long for him. May I share just a little secret with you? It's in the Bible if you read the Bible. When we go to heaven... What's in heaven is far greater than we can even imagine. What's in heaven and what awaits us is way better than getting married and having a child and having grandchildren and becoming a millionaire and owning your first house and owning that special vehicle and whatever you want to accomplish here on this earth. There's nothing on earth that's better than being in heaven with Jesus. But we always think in earthly terms. Remember, the Bible says this. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. They're going to rust and fall apart. But we're to lay up treasures in heaven. Do you long for heaven? I would say if we had a private poll, an anonymous poll, a blank card that said yes, no. Do you long for Jesus to come back? I'm going to say the percentages would be low of those who long for Jesus to come back and high of those who said no because we have things we want to accomplish in this earth. Do you long for his coming? Well, if you do long for his coming, truth number four is this. We must live for his coming. If you long for his coming, we must live for his coming. Jesus said it best. He said it in Luke chapter 19, verse number 13. And please listen to this. And he called his ten servants, and he delivered them how many pounds? Ten pounds. And he said unto them, Occupy till I come. Jesus, through parable, 
he taught the disciples this, is that I'm leaving you behind on purpose. And that purpose is to take the talents that I give you to multiply them, in other words, reaching the world, reaching others with the cause of Christ. Friend, Tucson Baptist Church, 64 years old this year. And I believe we have a glorious church. I'm so thankful for you. You make up the church. I think we have a glorious church. I'm so proud of our church. And because some of you are occupying, we are still a glorious church. Because some of you are obeying this verse, you're occupying till Jesus comes. You're using your talents. You're using your abilities. It's not been easy. It's not all honey and no bees. But I tell you this, that Jesus says that we're to occupy till his come. In other words, be faithful. Live for him. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't quit on your marriage. Don't quit on your children. Don't quit on your grandchildren. Don't quit on that that co-worker that's lost don't quit don't quit occupy be faithful 